Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Joe Casabona started his career almost 20 years ago as a freelance web developer. As time went on, Joe realized his true passion, helping people grow their podcasts into five-figure businesses. He started Podcast Liftoff in 2017 and has since been helping his clients transform their podcast from a hobby to a revenue-generating machine. Today, I'll talk with Joe about how he started his business, how he sets boundaries between his work life and personal life, and some of his recommendations for tools and systems that he uses at Podcast Liftoff. So Joe, we're talking about your podcast business on a podcast, pretty meta. I feel like I'm in, in, in Inception. Welcome to the show. Sanjay, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this. This is like where I'm all the time, right? Like I have a podcast called The Profitable Podcaster. Uh-huh. So like the Profitable Podcaster podcast, where we talk about <laughs> profitable podcasts. That That's quite a tongue twister, I must say. But yeah. before we get to the profitable podcast that you're that you're going to do or <laughs> have done and many times. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Give us a couple of minutes on on kind of you and where you came from and how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So uh, I tell people that the where I got here, because I have my master's in software engineering. Some of the first things that people say to me is like, you're so personable. How are you also like a software guy? Um, and it's because of this. I got into web development uh, at 14 when my church was like, Joe, we need a website. You're good with computers. Can you help us? And I was like, no. And they're like, we'll pay you. And I'm like, yes. Uh, so I was doing websites. I loved it. It let me work my like technical and creative brain, like my science brain, my art brain. Um, at the same time, I had been doing drama clubs since like second grade. So I loved entertaining. I loved being in front of people. Uh, that transitioned as I got older, because uh, you don't really do school plays like when you're out of college. Um, into public speaking and teaching. I got to teach in the classroom for my alma mater, the University of Scranton. And when I got married in 2016, my wife got a job um, away from Scranton. And so we moved downstate and I wasn't teaching in the classroom anymore. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to do two things. I'm going to create online courses because I love teaching. And I'm going to start this podcast so I can get to talk to people because as a self-employed or a, a remote worker at the time. I wasn't self-employed. Uh, as a remote worker, I don't get to see a lot of people. I'm moving farther and farther away from like where I live and my friends and my family. Uh, and so this allows me to entertain and be uh, the extroverted entertainer that I am. And uh, in 2017, about three months after my daughter was born, I decided to leave my full-time job and and start a business like for real with no safety net or school or my parents insurance or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the the nutshell of how I got from dude making websites to 
professional podcaster. So, so would you consider uh, a young dude making pie, making websites your first entrepreneurial venture, or did you have something before then? It's funny you ask that because I would always describe myself as a less handsome Zach Morris. I was always trying to figure <laughs> out ways to make money. Uh -huh. I would like try to turn a profit at our yard sales, and so um, the first thing. It's probably long enough that I could talk about this. Uh, the first thing I did to make money was, aside from fixing people's computers, was make mixed CDs for my, my schoolmates. I was one of the first people in the school with both a cable modem and a CD burner. Nice. And so they would give me a list of songs. Um, we had a... Uh, this was even before we had a cable modem. We had a separate line, though, a separate phone line. So... I would leave the computer on all night using one of those apps that you're not allowed to use to download music. <laughs> I, I, would, I had a feeling we were going to get into like an admission of of, of, thing, <laughs> of wrongdoing, but we're going to skip over that. This was all education. This was all educational use, is what it was. It was fair use, totally yeah, exactly. fair use. <laughs> um, and uh, it, yeah, it was all public domain songs. Um, and uh, I would guarantee two day delivery on these CDs. Wow. So I'd basically say like, hey, um, just the CD is three bucks. If you want the CD with the case and like some artwork, it's five bucks. Uh, and if you have a CD that you want me to fully recreate with like the actual artwork and things like that, it's 10 bucks. And I was doing like 60 to 100 bucks a week that way. It was great. Solid. So uh, for our listeners, in case you don't know who Zach Morris is, you clearly haven't watched Saved by the Bell. Uh, so I just wanted to give that shout out. Uh, Saved by the Bell, classic TV show. Every episode is fantastic. Uh, and you can go watch that and understand who Zach Morris is. Yeah, uh, he would like rent out his school parking lot. Like I was like realistic with my money-making aspirations. <laughs> the principal... Uh, was it Bell? Mr. Belding, Mr. yeah. Mr. Belding, Belding. He let him get away with a lot of things. I don't think my principals would have let me get away with a lot of those things that were money-making ventures. Yeah, um, for sure, absolutely. I was like yeah. a goody two-shoes in, in, despite that story I just told. I was like a <laughs> straight-laced person. And so my teachers liked me and let me get away with stuff that way. Yeah. But I was never a troublemaker like he was. Did you, did you have any entrepreneurs in the family that you were able to watch as you were kind of doing some of these things or, or was this kind of really on your own? Uh, it was pretty much on my own. You know, my dad, I, I guess he's a baby boomer. He was born in 1952. And so he was very much like a get a job, stay at that job forever and ever and ever, have a pension. Um, that said, he was very supportive of me. And so the first entrepreneur in my life that I really like that really took me under his wing was... Um, Mr. Rizzi, Mr. Joe Rizzi, he owned the deli I worked at. I'm a New York Italian, so of course I'm like a giant stereotype. Um, and every Saturday, we would, he would basically talk to me about how to run a business. And that's, that's how I learned uh, like a lot of my really early lessons. Yeah. Uh, so I got to ask, what's the one lesson top of mind for Mr. Rizzi that really stands out to you? Um, if you don't charge enough, people will think you do bad work. So like, he was like, how much do you charge for websites? And I'm like, $10 an hour. He's like, no, he's like, you charge $25 an hour. And I'm like, why? Um, he's like, because if you charge too little, then people won't think you do good work. Do you do good work? I'm like, yeah, I do great work. He's like that $10 an hour doesn't tell me that. 
So that was like the first time I was like, dang, it's not just like a race to the bottom. Like you, like your price kind of dictates the perception of your product or service. Yeah, that that signaling. I think that's one of the challenges for a lot of entrepreneurs is that signaling of price and what it tells the customer. And we always fall into this trap of like, well, but I just want the customers to come. And so I'll I'll make it cheap so they'll come, but it still doesn't fix it. There, there's a classic story of, of, I think it was turquoise being sold at a Native American store and it was discounted and it wouldn't sell. And then they increased the price and everything sold because it kind of implied like uh, that, yeah, oh, this like, was very valuable. Right, oh, why is this one more expensive? Yeah, and I mean, it's like a lesson you constantly learn, right? Like when we were right. buying our house, there was this house that looked beautiful from the outside, but it was about 30% less than all the other houses we were looking at. Uh-huh. And I was like, what's wrong with it? Like, <laughs> what is, and it was like a fixer upper. Like, right. but you couldn't tell from the outside. It was only on the uh, inside. But my first instinct wasn't, ooh, a cheap house. Let's go for it. It was deal. like, uh, what's wrong with this house? That it's so much cheaper than everything else. Right. I think it could have been they were just desperate to get out of it, but right. uh, but you got to figure out what the what the issue is. Yeah, and um, this was like before the pandemic, so this was like not when right. the not when people were like paying like straight cash like thirty percent more than it was worth <laughs> right. just to get it right. Yeah, yeah, it has been definitely nuts uh, yeah. in that area. So um, let's think about how uh, you kind of manage all of this stuff now that you're doing your own business. Um, and, and kind of the stress of it, right? Like one of the challenges for a lot of entrepreneurs is that honestly, you can work all the time. Um, so how do you balance that with your business and, and kind of the stress of all of it? Yeah, it's, it's really tough because when I was like single and had no other obligations, I would just work all the time. Like I was, I would tell people I'm so lucky that what I do professionally is also the thing I like to do as a hobby. Um, and so since then, though, I have three small children, like six, two and one. Um, I have a wife who's a nurse. And so, like, you know, we got to make sure that we see each other. So what I do is I try very hard to do this. Um, it doesn't always work. Uh, but I have a few focus modes on my phone that, like, kind of turns off email and certain calls and things like that at a certain time. It blocks certain apps uh, in the office. I have a list of things I want to get done each day. If I don't get those things done, I don't keep working until the list is done. I, I have what I call a shutdown routine. And so I open up a page in my journal for the day and I just write down what I call all the open threads. And so it kind of lets me brain dump all the things that I didn't get done that day. That way I'm not thinking about them later. The third thing, and this has been the most effective, is um, my daughter will say, Daddy, you're on your phone a lot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then I, I, I give it to her and then she hides it. So um, that kind of forces me to be present. Um, and I, I understand that not everybody has a kid or has a kid who's as forward as, as my daughter is. I wonder where she gets that from. Yeah. Um, but that having kids has really helped me determine boundaries and borders. It, and so when she takes your phone to hide it, uh, I'm assuming you don't know where it is. Like you close your eyes and she runs and does it somewhere. Is that is that the deal? Yeah. And she's not the best hider. She usually puts it on like the same part of the bookshelf. Um, <laughs> but it's it like 
it switches. It's like throws a switch in my brain that it's like I'm on my phone so much that my daughter has noticed. And so then it's it's less it's like less out of sight, out of mind and more like, okay, I need to be present. I'm on my phone. Now it's not in arm's reach, at least. So I'm I'm going to be present here and right now because I mean, I also have my Apple watch. So like if I get a crucial text message or whatever, like I'm going to see it, but I'm not going to be like checking my email for the millionth time, hoping that I sold the, that one more course or whatever. Right, right. Are, are there other kind of boundaries that you think about in terms of work and the rest of life that are kind of sacred to you? And, and how do you enforce those boundaries? Yeah, for a long time, I would say I'm only doing work in my office. So like I have a laptop. Yeah. But um, I, I'm, I'm not working at the dining room table or whatever. When the pandemic happened, I got pretty sick of my office pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but as far as like figuring out those boundaries, you know, I try to get out of the house and work a little bit. But um, I think the the thing that honestly, the thing that works the most for me, well, I should say that when it comes to boundaries with like external facing, like potential clients and contacts, I don't answer their emails right away. You know, the, some of those like old time, like kind of older rules. I don't answer their emails in the evening. Um, that's just something that I ingrained in myself over time. Um, and then again, like when my kids are home and I got everything I need to get done and I had a full day, that, that's the other thing, right? If I, if I leave in the middle of the day to spend time with my family, like just knock off of work because I can do that. Or like my daughter's in like the school Christmas pageant. Um, you know, and I, I leave work to watch that, like then I'll work in the evening a little bit. But if I get a full day, um, I leave all of my work stuff in the basement. And then it then it's again, it's like that that physical boundary. If I want to do work on my laptop, I have to go downstairs in front of all my children and my wife and like essentially announce, hey, I'm going to ignore you and get my laptop. Um, so that, that has been the biggest driver for me, but like as somebody who's been self-employed for since 14, some of the things that people struggle with, like, oh, coding, like, like working late into the night or all hours, phone calls and emails, like that stuff that I kicked pretty early on, like in college, like I just knew at some point that that was really important to like draw that boundary. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. Let's talk about um, one of the things I think that's an issue for a lot of entrepreneurs is fear. Um, do you have fears, I'm assuming you do, about what you're doing? Um, and what are they? And, and how do you deal with them? Yeah, I um, I mean, speaking frankly, uh, as we record this, I had like one of the worst three month runs of my professional career uh, at the end of 2022. Yeah. Um, where like, a lot of my money at that time of the year comes from sponsorships. 
And everybody just set their budget like super late. And so I wasn't making the money I expected to make. Right. That compounded with the pivot that I did, I did in May of that year, uh-huh. where I was only focusing on podcasting. And I freaked out like pretty hard. <laughs> and because um, now I have real stakes. I have children. I have, uh, yeah. um, and like my wife works, but like we have a mortgage. Our mortgage obviously went up in that time too, because super weird how no mortgage company can like properly calculate taxes. Um, <laughs> and uh, and when I have those fears, I, the biggest thing that helps me is my wife. Like she's so supportive. She's like, you've done this before. You're there. You're fine. Right. And I think about how um, every entrepreneur kind of goes through these things. Like we like to focus on the always the good. Right. Just like I would say this all the time early on in my podcast. Um, we always see the we always look at the Olympic gold medalist as if they're always standing on the podium. Right. But like for like 10 years before that, there was like blood, sweat and tears and failure and their body breaking down. And so like every entrepreneur goes through this and like weathering that storm and understanding that like this is just part of being a business and having the right support system and tent poles in place uh, and, and being willing to make the changes you need to make to get back on track. That's how I overcome my fear. I'm very much a, I have to fix the problem right now kind of guy. Yeah. And so when something happens, I always go, how can I fix this? What's the best way for me to do it? The, the, The challenge right there, I think you've honed in on is that we so much as a society will only talk about the time when you're on the the medal stand getting the gold medal, right? Yeah. Like no nobody was writing stories about the 10 years beforehand of like, oh, Simone Biles was at practice today and uh she failed again, right? Or right. whatever. And yeah and but she like, she but like pay tripped, attention because like, in eight like, years yeah. she might get the gold medal. Uh right. like like there's no story because it's not interesting uh, at that point. It's only interesting at the at the gold medal part. Right. And then, like, after the fact, right? Like, have you seen... I'm a huge Yankee fan. Um, have you seen The Captain, like, the documentary series, The Captain? I have not. Okay, so, like, Derek Jeter, one of the most celebrated uh, athletes of all time, I would right. say. Maybe that's my bias showing, but they did a six-part documentary on on him, so maybe not. Um, but in, like, the first episode, they talk about how, like, most scouts were like, this guy's going nowhere, right? Nobody was <laughs> writing about Derek Jeter, about how this right. kid not going anywhere. Um but it's like an interesting story now because of how successful he was. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's important when you're in it to think about, I can get through this. Right. Like other people have gotten through this. Other people have faced bigger adversity than me. Yeah. I can get through this. Yeah. So uh, thinking about the adversity, um, looking at now you, you've gone through a tough time thinking about like your your current year and the next year coming out of that, what makes you nervous about what's happening next? Um, I think, you know, and I knew this for a while and it never really hit me because like, again, like November every year, it's like a bunch of brands want to sign on for like a year sponsorship. And so like November, December was always great for me and would like set me up for like basically the next year. Um, but in the back of my mind, I was like, you're relying too much on other people's ad budgets. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this year, uh, a fear and the thing that's driving me is 
I want to be less reliant on that. And I want to yeah. sell my product specifically, right? That's the most scalable thing I have. And I want to be able to sell more of that. That was part of the whole simplifying my offerings and pivoting back in May. If Because if I'm selling too many things, right? Like you don't want to go to like a mechanic who's also a dentist who's also a computer <laughs> repair person who also like makes falafel or whatever right like just watch batman begins so like bat falafels like in my head yeah. um <laughs> like you're you're gonna be like which one of those do you act can you actually do i don't want to be that person i want to be the person who who said oh joe eats sleeps and breathes podcasts he can help yeah. me with his podcast with my yeah. podcast D diversification of revenue is probably one of those things that you've kind of touched on there is probably one of the most important things too for entrepreneurs to be able to be successful and survive through everything. And, and we see a lot of times entrepreneurs um, have too much revenue from too few clients or even one client and something, and, and it can be fine as long as nothing happens, but the minute something happens, it can be disastrous. Um, have you thought about that in terms of how you get your revenue and and do you look at uh, where you're getting revenue from and who's the biggest percentage and how do you how do you deal with that? Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely a mistake like freelancers make, right? Like, oh, like 70% of my income comes from this one client. Like you're basically their employee then and they could fire you at any time, right? And you don't get severance. Um, <laughs> I think that a lot of a lot of business, a lot of people I'll say like when they hear diversify your income, they think I need new products or I need more products or I need more offerings. That's a mistake I made for a long time. That's why I did so many things. I was like, oh, these are all income streams. I'm doing it the right way. Um, but now what I've realized is like I have one core offering and what my friend Chris Lemma calls the product ladder, right? So um, I have different products, different income coming from different places. And so right now, the lion's share of my income comes from two places, uh, LinkedIn Learning and the courses I do for them and the royalties I get from those courses um, and sponsorship. And I made a tough decision in September or October that I was going to stop doing LinkedIn learning courses because I was doing almost one a month, which is more than you're supposed to do, right, as a contract instructor. Um, and they were taking up a lot of time that I wasn't spending on my own business. And so I've basically, aside from royalties, I've, I've cut off that part of um, my income. And now I'm signing a few brand deals as we record this, right? So like everything that got delayed in the last quarter is like is is finally like coming in yeah. in this quarter. Um, but what I'm thinking about is okay, in my podcast offerings, how can I go through the journey with my customer? So how can I meet them where they're ready to get something from me? So I have like the thirty nine dollar thing, right? Oh, hey, this is just gonna get you off the ground a little bit. I have the three ninety nine thing. Oh, hey, this is going to give you a more um, self-paced, but like all the information, everything I've ever learned as a podcaster is here. I have the coaching program. Hey, let me hold your hand through some of this stuff now. And I have the done for you program, which is like, don't even worry about it. I'll do this for you. I'll let you know when it's done. Here you go. Um, and so those are the things that I thought about last year g coming into this year. It's not about um, having a bunch of different products or it's not about having a bunch of different businesses. It's about where can I meet people 
in my niche at different parts of their journey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I love it. I love it. Okay. Let, let's move to um, something that I think uh, hopefully the listeners have been waiting for. I've definitely been waiting for. Uh, what do you have in terms of recommendations for uh, first technology apps or systems that you've implemented to help you manage your business? And then the second part of that is what do you have recommendations for somebody that's wanting to start their podcast in terms of technology apps or systems? So let's start with the business first. Yeah. Um, my toxic trait is automating things that probably don't need to be automated. Uh-huh. That said, I think that automation has been such a crucial part of me being able to stay as just me as my only full-time employee. I have a couple of contractors, but um, so like Zapier or Make, if you're going to have more than five automations, look at Make because it's like 90% cheaper than Zapier. Um those things, connecting one thing to another, making things happen automatically so I don't have to think about it, that more than anything has helped me become a profitable business and a profitable podcaster. Like my guest flow for podcasting, somebody signs up for a Calendly link, they get all the communication automatically. It gets added to my episode system automatically. It gets added to my show notes automatically. Me and the guest chat I add those uh, the recordings to Dropbox, and then I never see the episode again until it's live. Because between automation and my editor and my VA, I don't have to anymore. I have those systems in place. So like make.com, formerly Integromat, make is a terrible name for Googling um, and like a brilliant name for like what you actually do. Uh, but <laughs> make.com has been so big for me. The other thing that's been big for me is uh, Airtable. Airtable is basic. I like I use Craft as my notes app, and that's technically my second brain. But like Airtable is like my my business's brain, I guess. Yeah. All of my planning, all of my organization, all of my a bunch of numbers I run are all in Airtable. And I know like Notion's like the new hotness, but like Airtable is just like Airtable has been there for me. Like, I, I love, love it. it. I love it. Okay, what, what about on the podcasting side? Uh, a tool or a system or something that somebody should implement if they're going to try to launch a podcast? Yeah, if you want to launch a podcast today, right? Because it's time consuming. We both know this. I think a mini podcast is is the way to go. So that's like solo show, 20 minutes or less. That's going to be easier for most people to start. And so if you're going to do that, Descript is what you need, right? Because you can record in Descript. It's got really easy tools for improving your audio if you don't know how to edit. And then when you do edit, it's like editing a Word doc or a Google doc, Word doc. Um, you delete text and that audio is deleted. And then you publish directly to your audio host. So like it's, Descript is like a one-stop shop for everything. And then you have the benefit of getting these auto-generated transcripts, which those are better than no transcripts. Yep. And so you have the whole package, right, in this one app. I love it. I love it. Um, okay. Last question. What would you tell somebody that's thinking about uh, either launching a side hustle or taking their side hustle into a full-time gig like you've done? My network saved me, right? When I left my full-time job, two things were true. I had a new family to support. Uh -huh. And I was full of hubris because my old job was having trouble paying us on time. 
And the thing that made me leave was being told by the project manager, hey, if you want to get paid on time, you have to work this weekend to finish this project. And I was like, that's not the social contract that we have. <laughs> um, but even, um, uh, even outside of that, I didn't feel the crunch of getting paid late because my side hustle was bringing in money. What I didn't realize was side hustle money is not full-time gig money because eventually I'd get that payment and it was usually within two weeks. Um, and so my network saved me because I was like, I panicked. I was like, I have no money. And apparently like the money I was making is not enough to support my family. I reached out to a few people. I landed a big sponsor and I landed a, um, a, a contract gig with a friend making educational videos. So uh, if you're going to go out on your own, know how much you need to make before you go out on your own. Make sure you have some money in the bank and build a network of people in your niche who you can work with. Because that, I cannot um, ex express my gratitude enough for that. My, my business would not exist without my network and my podcast. I love it. That's, that is great, great advice. Um, well, listen, Joe, where can our listeners find and connect with you? Uh, you can, you know what? I have some resources set up for you for like my podcast planners and things like that. If you go to podcastliftoff.com slash side hustle, all one word, uh, you will get um, more information about where you can find me. You can join my mailing list and you can get some free resources over there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Joe, for coming on the show. My pleasure, Sanjay. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business Podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Park. You can find me on Twitter at, at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparek.com.